Hello, my name is Adam Eason and welcome to episode 102 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a roaring high-speed victory of a show lined up for you today. After our three previous episodes being special editions of some kind or another, we've returned to some semblance of normality with the structure of today's show. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest, Greg McColl. Then we'll have this week's hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media. Uh, we then return with our professional discussion with this week's guest, Greg McColl. Uh, we'll be talking about Greg's approach uh, using hypnosis in motorsports, a subject we've not discussed on the podcast before today. Uh, we'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate and doing its best to inform and educate I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub, and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted in the episode notes at the section at, at iTunes and on each episode's page on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add your thoughts, comments, and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. I'll be a BFF if you do. It takes just a few seconds, one or two clicks, to give us a favourable rating, and it helps us a great deal. So, on to today. First of all, today, um, this week's interview with my guest, Greg McColl. Um, Greg and I have shared drinks at the UK Hypnosis Convention, and uh, we connected via email following this year's event. Um, he's one of those people who, who instantly appealed to me, who I kind of j just warmed to. Um, he was and is very knowledgeable. He's an obvious critical thinker who challenges much of the status quo within the field. He has a depth of hypnosis knowledge and experience that spans a, a wide variety of different approaches. But then he also goes and quotes sci-fi in the way that any self-respecting sci-fi geek would expect. Uh, and he makes me laugh greatly. So I invited him to come and be a guest on the show. And I'm delighted I did. Right, let's get on with it, shall we? For now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. <music> So as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome this week's guest, the one and only Greg McCall. Greg, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Hello, thank you for having me. So let's let's learn a bit about you first of all. Um, I'm, I'm 
off off air, you actually started getting me excited about this particular yeah. question. Now, uh, tell me, tell us how you got into this field and a bit about your background and how you've arrived at where you are now. You know, these dizzy heights where you're discussing this stuff with me. Well, um, like most people, I suppose, or some people, uh, my journey started back in 1993 with the arrival on our television screens of Mr. Paul McKenna mm. and uh, the hypnotic world of Paul McKenna. Yeah. Um, and I was a mere lad of, what would I have been, 20 at the time, and I thought, oh, that's what I want to do. I'll, ha I'll have a slice of that. How do I do that? Um, so went out, bought his book, which I actually managed to find today uh, in anticipation of this and, and had a flick through it. And actually, it's, it's, it's basic, but it's pretty solid stuff in there. Um, and off the back of that, I thought, well, how do, how do I do this? How do I, how do I become a hypnotist and a hypnotherapist? But of course, this is 1993. There is no Tinternet. No. So um, for the life of me, I was trying to remember today how I'd even found it, but I got in touch with a place down in your neck of the woods, actually, uh, Neil French, and successful, oh, right. successful Hypnotherapy, it was called. Yeah. And um, I, I commenced doing that um, in 1993 as a sort of correspondence course, if you like. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've actually found all my stuff today from 1993, all my tests and notes and exams and everything that I used to mail off because, of course, you couldn't email. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I did that. Um, and I found a delightful thing in the booklet today that uh, when it's talking about the course fees that if you were to attend in person, it says these fees include morning and afternoon coffee and tea and, <laughs> and biscuits, um, which, which the inclusion of the biscuits I thought was charming. That was um, a deal break. That was a deal maker. Oh, yeah, sold. Um, so I did that. It took me about a year. Um, but I was 20. Um, and interestingly, I, as I've been thinking about it today, I think I was wrong in my assertion, but I thought, hang on a minute, who wants to come and see a 20 year old hypnotherapist? That's crazy. That, yeah. that, that, that's insane. Um, how much life experience do I have? What can I actually bring to this? Um, and so I didn't do anything with it. Yeah. Um, and then life happened and went abroad and, Lived abroad for a while, um, was a musician. Then I became an audiologist and spent 15 years looking in people's ears. Um, and all that time, I kept my hand in with NLP and stuff, you know, and communication skills. And then after 15 years of that, I was doing examining and, and, and training. Uh, and then I went back to just doing the regular job and thought, you know what? I don't think I want to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, it also coincided with me becoming a certain age, so you might call it a midlife crisis. But, <laughs> um, and then I had a friend at the time who worked for McLaren uh, Formula One team, and he got in touch with me. He, he's a neuroscientist from McLaren, and said he was looking for some music because he was working on a project with a mind coach, right. and they were developing a product. And because I was a musician, did I know where he could get some music? And I said, yes, I do know where you can get some music. I'll write it for you. So I was keeping my hand in in the music, writing music for TV and adverts and stuff like that yeah. uh, as a sort of hobby. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, started to write the music for these sort of self-development CDs and program that these two guys had developed together. And he ended up um, moving back to, he's from New Zealand, so he moved back to New Zealand. And it was just me and this mind coach. And when he found out that, yeah, I'd studied hypnotherapy in the past, we created this product together. And I worked with him over the time while I was an audiologist until five years ago. Uh, and then I thought, actually, I think I can do this. And he said, well, you know, I'm getting to an age where I'm thinking about retiring. So why don't you, you know, jump in and, and take over and, and do what I've been doing. Um, and that's what led me back in to where I originally started out wanting to go in the direction that I wanted to go in. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Um, um, very, very cyclical um, um, as far as that's concerned. You know, I, I love that. I love that. And um, we're going to be speaking about some of the connections and um, I'm looking a little bit more at your interest and your work with, with motorsports later on. Um, um, if, I, if I just kind of bring it back a little bit mm. with regards to, 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 to hypnosis, um, yeah. specifically with hypnosis, you know, I mean, you've been involved... Um, I'm within the hypnosis field and your tuition and education within it for a lot of years now. Mm. Um, for, for somebody that I would consider to be to be relatively young still, even. Um, um, where, where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned? You know, how do, how do you define hypnosis and how have you arrived at that definition? Um, I'd be really interested to know if, if, if that has developed since the 20 year old Greg was study, <laughs> studying the correspondence course with Neil French compared to where you're at with regards to it today. And, and, and you know, and how you explain hypnosis to, to, to clients and, and other people today. I think if we're progressing at all, it's, it is constantly changing, um, almost weekly, you know, depending on who you're talking to, what you're reading, um, how your opinions shift with experience and age. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much uh, following the sort of lines of Walensky and and Gurdjieff now with that we're, we're just in a constant state of trance you know and, and Trevor Sylvester talks about this as well you know this constant state of just different shifting trances throughout a day mm. um, and I think that for me that's a correct way of, of looking at it when I look at the states and, and some of the, the clients that I deal with particularly in stress and anxiety and when you look at that focus that people have when they're in a particular state it, it is very trance and hypnosis like uh, in that they are focused on one thing to the exclusion of all else and the mental chatter is either supporting that or is absent because they're so focused on whatever it is um, so my definition of hypnosis is this sort of sliding scale, this spotlight that is either extremely focused when we are in what you and I might call uh, a hypnotherapy session, we're doing yeah. hypnosis with someone, yeah. to that slightly wider focus where there's a little bit of bleed, more spill around the edges. So we're not quite as focused, but we're still in a state. We're still experiencing suggestion all the time because, yeah. you know, after all, that's why advertising works, you know. Yeah. Um, so hypnosis for me is a constant shifting state that changes throughout the day. When we do formal hypnosis, it's just a more focused version of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, 
Um, I, I like that idea of, um, of 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 it being, you know, and and, and I'm, I'm very familiar with, um, with with a lot of the ways in which Trevor explains, you know, the kind of everyday everyday yeah. trance experiences, and then getting more focused in um, um, and, and specific when when you're then working working with a client in a therapeutic environment. Um, you mentioned Trevor there. Um, 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 t- t- tell me, tell me, who who are some of your your major influences in the field? You know, I mean, alongside Trevor and and Neil French, um, um, and perhaps you tell us some of the some of the books and authors that have taught you the most. Some of the teachers that have been influential upon you throughout the years, and, and the reasons why. Yeah, again, I think that changes, you know, with our with our sort of reticular activating system, as people like to bandy about these days. Um, you know, whatever your your current thoughts are is is who you're interested in, or whoever's uh, currently on the scene is ten who who you tend to think of. Um, you know, in the same way that Robbie Williams's Angel was voted the best song of the twentieth century just because it was recent. Um, I think it's the same for. Yeah you know, who are our influences at the moment and stuff like that. I think it's funny, I was talking to a colleague the other day and we were talking about the, the, the much maligned Tony Robbins, you know, and I think a lot of people started with Tony Robbins and I have to say I did too, you know, um, unlimited power. There's still some good stuff in there. Um, and while I'm not familiar with his current stuff, he was definitely a jumping off point, an easily accessible way into that world of yeah. NLP and Bandler and Grinder and Andreas, uh, those people, and, and I very much like Joseph O'Connor's books on NLP as well. Um, yeah. Currently, um, we've got the current crop of leading lights in our world, you know, the Mike Mandels, the Jorgen Rasmussens, um, yeah. that I think... I actually come back to something that you said at the uh, UK Hypnosis Convention, you know, when you talked about the fact that professionals do less. Um, And I think you see that with the the, the people that are really at the top of the game, it's effortless and it's easy, but it's also very, very simple. And I think that's something that, you know, the Mike Mandels, the Jorgen Rasmussen's really demonstrate When, when, when you see them working. There's such an elegant simplicity to how they're doing it. You think, yeah, that's how we should be doing things. Yeah. You know? um, and then I've got a current interest at the moment personally in sort of John Sarno's work and Rossi's and uh, David Cheek's and Bruce Limpton's um, whole biology of belief and, and the sort of gene expression and, and how that gets changed from our thoughts. And again, on the back of your you know, talk on placebo at the, the convention, um, I think it's an area that has huge ramifications for us um, all, actually, in our general health, well-being, physically and mentally. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there's a really interesting, um, a really interesting collection of influences uh, recently there. Um, um, tell me, tell me, th- throughout the years that you've been working. Greg, and or, or you, you know, and you've been involved with the hypnosis field. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me one of the more impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly witnessed, that you've kind of been there with. But, do you know, funny, the, the, the one that I think possibly had, has has had the greatest. Um, I hate to use the trite phrase paradigm shifting, yeah. um, but but was actually seeing Giancarlo Russo work last year at the uh, convention. And his whole approach to nonverbal induction and trance, and that was genuinely jaw-dropping and 
uh, impressive to see. Um, yeah. It was so far away from what I'm familiar and comfortable with that it just opened a whole new door of exploration and like, well, hang on a minute, <laughs> what's going on here? This is this is this is outside of my realm of experience. This is astonishing. Um, so th that's very interesting. Um, and some of the, you know, um, seeing some of the people at the convention, uh, Michael C. Anthony, the stage hypnotist, you know, seeing his yeah. work, uh, that was very impressive as well. Because again, there's an elegant simplicity in, in when you see somebody doing something, you go, wow, that's, that's, um, because there's, it, it's not flash bang wallop. It's, it's, it's just confident. It's easy. It's delivered with style and elegance. Um, and that's what impresses me, that simplicity and elegance um, of delivery that's effective. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's, you know, that's, that, 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 that's lovely to hear. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, we spoke about this kind of like embryonic phase when you were, mm. when, when you were 20, 20 years old. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it, what really interests me um, um one of the things that, that are you, because because I remember, you know, you know, being being twenty one years old, um, I'm starting work as a hypnotherapist, and and wow. at the time thinking to my, and at the time struggling with with certain clients simply because I had no I had no real life experience. I, I mean, I I had no entrepreneurial skills and so on. Um, and so so the the, the question that I'm always interested in. Is, um, um, is is my next one, which is, you know, if you could go back to when you were kind of starting out um, um, or when you were, when you were perhaps starting out as, as either as a hypnotherapist more, more recently mm -hmm. or, or right back when you were starting out just exploring the field, knowing the stuff you know today, is there anything you'd do differently? And if so, what is there any advice the person that you are today would give that younger you um, um, and, and, and stuff that you'd share? Uh, with 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 our listeners, yeah, it's it's interesting because I I noted at the convention you actually said that you'd been in it for tw did you say twenty five twenty six years or something well, like that? Well, well, well twenty two years, twenty two years, and I suddenly thought, oh, we we must be a similar uh, age group. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I thought, wow, and but you actually did it, whereas I managed to talk myself out of it. I think at the time. Um, looking back, I would say I was wrong. Um, I was wrong because I could have niched if I was nervous about my life experience. I could have niched to people of a similar age. Um, I could have delivered that to my peer group. You know, uh, I could have developed it into sport. I could have done something. So with hindsight, I think. I would have just thought about it more and actually said, well, hang on a minute. Don't don't be so rash to decide that um, maybe this isn't, uh, you know, your life experience isn't actually relevant. I mean, how, how did you find it at that young age yourself? Oh, well, 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 you know, I, I mean, if, if if I'm going to be polite about myself, I think I think in my early 20s, I was a bit of a knob um, um, in, in, in many ways. And, I think um, it's a given we all are, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, um, 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 however, you know, my, my intention was good. My energy and enthusiasm was, was good. 
Um, um, yeah, so, you know, I, I did find it incredibly challenging. I struggled to make uh, an effective business out of it for, right. for, for a few years after that. Um, um, and, and it took a lot of growing up. And, you know, I, I also wish that I'd have I'd have questioned a lot of the things that were that were central to my education then. Mm. But, uh, you know, I, I still kind of figured that I needed to know that stuff before before I could let go of it and, and, and or build up build upon it and, and build out of it but yeah you know I, I found it quite I found it quite challenging when I was when I was at that younger age and you know for precisely the thing that you said at the, the top end of of this, this discussion today which was um, which was that that I was worried about people taking me seriously and, and yeah, certainly yeah. certainly more mature clientele um, I'm tended to, to give me a wide berth yeah, and I, and I have to say, when I look back at my training, having, having just found all the notes recently and, and, and gone back through it, it was decidedly dry and incredibly Freudian, um, which at the time I remember it not really sitting that well with me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I remember not being particularly, um, you know, I, I went through it thinking, well, you know, OK, you can make your own way after this, but you've got to go through this to, you know, uh, get to the end of it. But I remember not particularly agreeing with, with, with portions of it as I went through it. But looking back now with my model of the world that I have now, that basically everything is based on beliefs and mental noise, um, I can see that how my beliefs and mental noise just talked me out of it at the time. Yeah. Uh, and and I'd I'd tell myself actually just pause for a second consider it. Um, yeah. Having said all that, I wouldn't change anything about my life. Um, no. You know, and and what I've done in the experiences that I've had that have brought me to the point I'm at now. But from a an experienced point of view, I'd just say you know you can always niche, you can think outside the box, or actually just get on with it. You know, it yeah. doesn't necessarily what what you believe isn't necessarily true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, um, yeah, um, I, I'm, now, we're, we're going to speak. We're going to speak a great deal more um, um, in a short while. For now, um, where can people go to learn more about, about about you, your work, your approach to hypnosis, and things on, along those lines? Yeah, it's, it's really simple. It's just gregmccall.com. Um, there's links to I've got various different offshoots. There's a motorsport section and website that's dedicated just to motorsport and, and various other things off of there. But you'll find most uh, information that you need to know about me there. Um, Brilliant. And if you've got any questions, of course, get in touch with me directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th th there will be a link to uh, Greg's website, uh, this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, we will be back with Greg McCall in just a few minutes' time. I really enjoyed that. More from Greg in a short while. Um, before that, we're going to have a look at our hypnosis and the news stories. I've got a couple that I want to mention today. Um, first up, I was going to make reference to a story that was cited on the MTV website and blog that was entitled Marnie Simpson considers hypnotherapy for crisp addiction after eating up to 10 bags per day. Then I thought to myself, who actually is that Marnie Simpson? I mean, who is that? Then I also thought to myself, how is this news? I mean, I mean, it's saying that she is considering hypnotherapy. She's considering hypnotherapy. She's not actually undergoing it. She is considering it. Um, and that somehow makes a story. 
So I kind of figured that I was far too old to actually comment upon or, 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 or you know, just reference this story in the slightest, and I've chosen not to anyway. So again, no, I mean, who? Marnie Simpson, right? Um, okay, so on to more sensible media coverage. Uh, I think you're going to like this one. Uh, first up this week, I'm referencing an article to a featured in Cosmopolitan magazine this past week. Um, and get this for a title. Uh, it's titled... I tried to have a hands-free orgasm using erotic hypnosis videos. <laughs> hey, okay. Uh, the subtitle of the article is this. Come now, come harder than you've ever come before. Um, who'd, have, who'd have thought that I'd have said such a thing on this show? Uh, how could I not mention this article on this week's show? However, when we dig beneath the surface of the title, there are a number of very interesting issues that are raised within this article. The article opens with a transcript from a YouTube video that is basically a, 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 a countdown to an orgasm. And it says, you know, I, I'm going to count down from 10. And when I get to one, you're going to come. That's what it says. Um, and the lady is lying full, fully clothed on her bed with her eyes closed. And next to her, her phone is playing a YouTube video of hypnotic spirals. While through her headphones, there's this low masculine voice informing her that she's about to have an orgasm. And, and it counts down 10, 9, 8, you're getting close now and so on. Um, 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 and then it says 4, 3, 2, you're desperate to let go. And she says um, um, that even with her eyes closed, she can't help rolling them. Which actually, actually I, I thought was rather funny. And it says, one, come now, come harder than you've ever come before. Um, and she waits expectantly and nothing happens. Anyhow. The article then charts the author's exploration of erotic hypnosis, a woman who had successfully used hypnosis for childbirth. So, you know, ought to be a very good candidate, but ultimately finds no joy at all in erotic hypnosis, at least, you know, in the way in which she uses it um, through audio and videos. Um, she finds it tough to find anyone to communicate with her about it and to find out why it was not working for her. Um, she does discover some women who are incredibly enthusiastic about it, I hasten to add. Um, now, in theory, of course, you know, it makes sense that hypnosis can help with elements of our sexual health. Um, and, and, you know, I, additionally, I, I attended a presentation with Kaz Riley um, earlier this year, who's going to be my guest on, the, on, on this show um, in the new year, discussing this very topic, you know, using hypnosis for, for our sexual health. Um, I, I nearly said she's going to be coming on the show, but then I thought against it. Anyhow, she describes, uh, the author of this article describes some of the dramatic audios that she attempts to use and some of the phrases used just did not suit her. And I think, you know, overall, she gives a damning case for the use of generic audios, um, especially with this being such a personal topic um, that would benefit from from tailoring, so to speak. The article raises some interesting issues. You know, she's quoted as saying... Um, with one of the audios that she listened to, it just sounded like some bloke's personal fantasy. And, you know, I, I couldn't help thinking while I was reading that, you know, is this the way we want the field to be portrayed? She also um, um, interviews and speaks to a hypnotherapist who says people who practice erotic hypnos hypnosis may not be trained, accredited or insured. So you have no guarantee of the quality of the hypnosis you're getting or even if it will be effective at all. And again, you know, is that really how we wish our profession to be perceived? You know, that the, the, the access that she had, that she was 
that she was sort of coming across, that she was encountering, was um, um, was, was was really a, a bit grubby and not very professional. Um, and it's a shame because hypnosis can massively help in this regard. Yet the videos and the generic audio, sometimes created by those with little credibility or edu- or relevant educational background tend to sully the perception of what can and can't be done. And the author, you know, as funny as her tone was in this article, you know, it's a good read, I have to say, um, um, did, she didn't derive any usefulness from the hypnosis, whereby she certainly could have done and perhaps should have done with a good quality professional. Um, my second article this week um, was featured in the Daily Mail here in the UK, and it's titled Hypnosis is Twice as Effective at reliving agonising symptoms of IBS than other methods, study reveals. Um, Now, obviously, in the title, they meant to say relieving. But if you go and look at the article, all the comments are about, you know, who wants to relive agonising symptoms? And it made a bit of a a faux pas there. However, um, beyond the faux pas within their title that should say hypnosis is twice as effective as at relieving agonising symptoms of IBS, um, This is an article featuring a a new study that was published by the University Medical Centre of Utrecht, um, um, who used hypnosis in a number of hospitals and had great success treating um, the symptoms of IBS. Um, And they go on to basically support the findings um, by providing even more evidence and collating all the evidence about hypnosis for IBS, in particular referencing um, Olaf Paulson's work and the Worrell study that I'm sure you're all aware of. I mean, I've mentioned it here before on the podcast that featured in The Lancet in the 1980s. And it's good to see the field really getting somewhere in this regard with this application of hypnosis. And the press coverage is really valuable in this instance. Um, and, and it's referencing all the right sources and the right studies. Um, and, and it put a smile on my face, if I'm honest. So there are links to these stories over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website, all very much worth a read. Next up, we have this week's uh, professional discussion. I welcome back Greg McColl. Um, when I approached Greg and invited him onto the show, I specifically asked him if, if, if he would talk on this particular subject of, of motorsports. Um, I'd seen a big section on his website dedicated to, to Motorsport Mind um, and his website of the same name. And with it being a topic, you know, as I said earlier, you know, we've not covered this, this subject before here. Um, I thought it would make for some, for some stimulating discussion and make some stimulating listening for you regular listeners. Um, um, I asked if he'd discuss that with me on the show. And, and you know, I'm going to be honest, I actually wish I'd recorded our off-air discussions too, because we went into detail on some other great related topics and, and had a lot of fun while geeking out about hypnosis and sci-fi. Um, 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 anyhow, anyhow, here is this week's professional discussion with Greg McColl. Enjoy. So I'm back now with this week's guest, Greg McColl, and I'm, I'm delighted that we're going to be talking about something quite different. Um, um, earlier on, uh, Greg mentioned um, that, that in his background he'd worked um, alongside professionals at McLaren, um, um, and I wanted to start asking him about that, uh, about this kind of motorsport mind coach. Um, 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 G- Greg, welcome back. First of all, tell us a little bit um, um, uh, about how all of this, how all of this, this happened um, um, with regards to the motorsport mind, mind coach. Were, were you interested in motorsports already? 
Um, I was interested uh, to a point, you know, I ride motorcycles and previously liked Formula One and stuff like that. So I, I, I was interested to an extent. Um, when I was working with the colleague, we, we did a couple of Formula One teams where we did stuff for them. And when I branched out on my own, um, I thought I'd try to get a bit of a bigger interest in bikes because that is where my passion was. Um, the world of bikes is less well funded than uh, motorsport with four wheels. Yeah. So um, that, that that's more of a challenge. But um, yeah, it, it was basically picking up the phone and speaking to people and finding out that in motorsport, when you asked people what they were going to do differently, you know, to, to use the old NLP thing, you know, what's the difference that's going to make the difference next yeah. season? Yeah. Most people would say, oh, I'm going to go to the gym more. I, <sighs> really? That's all you're going to do to, 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 to get the edge. Again, to use another Tony Robbins thing. Um, next season. And, and that was startling to me. So it was picking up the phone and speaking to people and saying, well, hang on, let's see if the things that I do with members of the public can also be applied here. The same principles uh, and the same you know, ways of doing things can apply in motorsport. So I started out uh, with a couple of lower levels. I'd been into, as I said, a couple of F1 teams as well, doing things with pit crews as well as, as, as with the teams and drivers. And right. these days now, my motorsport work is it's pretty well split between two wheels and four wheels. Um, it varies year to year. This year, there's been a slight more emphasis on four wheel stuff. Um, and it can be, you know, it can be Porsche Carrera Cup. It can be um, Le Mans drivers, F1, F3, uh, rally drivers. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. I've, I've also done some work with darts players in the last year as well, which was interesting because I had a theory about their performance. But I, I do golfers and, and rugby teams and players and stuff like that as well. But the, the motorsport's the interesting thing. And I think one of the things that may surprise people is that yeah. a lot of the, the problems that people encounter in motorsport have got nothing to do with people's performance on the track. They've got that handled. They know what to do when they're on there. It's yeah. everything else that's the problem. Right. You know, so it the, the, you can win or lose a weekend by, you know, even before you've turned up to the weekend. Sure. You can win or lose in a weekend because you don't particularly like the, the, the sight or the sound of the team manager. Mm. Or you don't particularly like the the husband or boyfriend or wife or girlfriend or whoever it is of your teammate. That mm. can affect people's performance so much that it's actually got very little to do with their on-track skills. Now, on-track skills is generally negative mental chatter. Um, and one, one, of, one of the simplest things is people hold their breath. <laughs> when, whenever they get tense, they hold their breath. It's the first thing that they do. Yeah. So they're holding their breath going around corners. They're holding their breath at the start. And as soon as you point that out to them and they stop doing it, they, they notice an improvement straight away. Wow, um, with hypnosis, I'm kind of careful when you use the H word yes. in, in the world of motorsport. You tend to talk more about guided visualization. Um, yeah. as, 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 a, as a softer inroad because the minute you, you start 
mentioning the H word, you know, you people have um, ideas of purple cloaks and, and pointy hats, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's it's an interesting one. Motorsport's a challenging market because if you're working with somebody, you're either helping them because they have a problem or you're their secret weapon. So either way, they don't really want to talk about you. Right. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit um, challenging in, in in working with clients and getting new clients because people say, well, who do you work with? And you say, well, I'm, not, I'm just not telling you. Uh, and in a lot of cases, you'll have to sign non-disclosure agreements anyway. Um, but it's it's that's a challenge. But once you get into it, there's so many things that you can do uh, from the world of NLP and hypnosis to help people manage their states. Because um, yeah. it is all about state management in, in motorsport. And the, the concentration element as well, uh, being able to cope with distraction. But that state management and being aware, increasing people's awareness of state yeah. and then recognizing that long before they find themselves in the problem. Um, because just like, you know, regular people, when I'm dealing with clients with stress and anxiety, um, you know, you don't just find yourself experiencing a period of stress or anxiety there were signposts all the way along the road to that point and you just strolled past them and paid no attention to them but the minute that you start to go oh hang on a minute the last time that i was behaving like this or wanted to listen to this type of music or you know start addressing a certain way or doing a certain action couple of weeks later I felt a certain way and I you know and, and there's always signposts telling people where the behavior is going and and you get the same kind of thing with motorsports so you'll get it you can help people change their environments you know I'm, I'm quite big on using the old uh, logical levels uh, sort of concept the, yeah. the, the difference model to help people manage their environment to change not only their own behavior but other people's behavior around them which then benefits them yes so in garage situations, helping people to manage who's about, who's talking to them, pre-race strategies for them for how they're behaving, you know, how are they going to be in their best state for when they go out on track? You know, what is their peak state for them? Um, and we, of course, we'll use the old sort of anchoring tools and stuff like that as well. Um, and lots of guided visualization. I'm interested in, in something you mentioned there. Excuse me, interrupting. Yeah, no, because, no. Because I, I always thought, and, and I, I always, you know, quite wrongly assumed, you know, it's worth bearing in mind that I, I know very little about motorsport. Um, um, but I always just assumed that in order to be an incredible, um, 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 you know, in a motorsport star of some kind or performer, high performer, mm. that you'd need to have a kind of ice cool demeanour. Yet I know when, when I do tune into F1 these days, and they have their 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 their, their radio um, on the live feed, so mm. that you know television audiences can can hear what's going on. For example, they they they, it, they often sound quite stressed out as well. You know, people really at the top of their game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so it, is is it just subjective what their what their peak state is and what what the most optimum state is, or are there kind of psychological characteristics that you that you want and that you are aiming at people achieving and and, and being able to, to develop? It's it's entirely different for everybody, but it's right. always finding that balance between wanting to kick the cat and knowing yes. that you want to kick the cat. You know, 
Yeah. Um, if they can recognize themselves becoming unresourceful, then they can actually start to apply things uh, to stop themselves going down that, that sort of route. Um, a common thing for an on-track event is if, say, somebody gets overtaken by somebody that they've previously uh, had a tussle with or they always find it hard to overtake them back. Um, stopping the mental chatter, that negative chatter that comes in at that point and the conversation that they'll have in their head at that point. Yeah, that's key. Um, I did an interesting thing with uh, two, two actual drivers this year, actually, that um, had both similar problems that they discovered that they didn't like when cars came up behind them. So um, these are in sort of touring cars and sports cars, so they've got headlights, so they'd see the headlights in the rear view mirror, and it instantly tense up. And of course, nobody does anything better tense. So their driving gets affected, their reactions get affected, concentration gets affected. And to go back to, again, a very simple NLP thing, realizing it's a visual trigger, uh, we put, you know, like darkening window film that boy racers put on their car windows. <laughs> yeah. We just yeah. put that put that over the rear view mirror so they could still see the light, but it was less intense. It wasn't as up close and as bright to them. Completely changed how they felt about it. Took away that whole stressful, <gasps> tense response just by dimming it down. So essentially changing a submodality, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's just little things, but... A lot of it has to do with the individual. So if you ever watch motorsport, you'll see that some people will sit with headphones in before they go out on track, you know, and they're in their own world. And that's fine as long as they've got no mental chatter. <laughs> if, yes. if their head's full of mental chatter, that's the worst possible strategy. But yeah, it might be the only strategy. Yeah, it's the only strategy they've got. So it's, it's working out trying what works best for somebody. And, and I'm a big one for saying, you know, you take whatever I say, and if it works for you, you keep it. If it doesn't, chuck it, you know. Don't feel compelled that you need to keep it. If it doesn't sit with you or it doesn't work for you, move on, you know. Yeah. Uh, not everything I say is golden, you know. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of that. Um, and what, what speaks to some people, some people that I work with will be quite um, – once you get to them, you know, they're very interested in hypnosis and actually what else it can do for them. Yeah, um, yeah. But with motorsport, because there's so much hanging around, you know, so you might be out on track for a 20-minute or a 30-minute session, and then you've got five hours before you're next out on track again. Right, yeah. That's when the problems come in, generally, because you'll get negative chatter about what has happened, you'll get negative chatter about what might happen in the next session. And this is where, you know, I referenced earlier that my my whole model, pretty much of everything now, is all about beliefs and mental noise. If I believe I have the machinery under me that allows me to be competitive and to win a race, then, yeah, my performance is going to be different. If I believe I don't, my performance will be different. Couple yeah. that with mental noise about, the conversations that are going on in my head between the two things, that's actually what generates our behavior and, and, and our results. And it's no different from a phobia. You know, if I believe that the spider is going to drag me under the skirting board and eat me, then couple that with the mental noise, I'm going to have a certain um, behavior 
about what's going to happen. I'm going to have certain thoughts about what's going to happen. If I have a different belief, I'm going to have a completely separate and completely different uh, outcome and behavior. So the mental noise and beliefs and managing that during that downtime in between sessions um, is, is, is so important in teaching people you know, not to go near the dreaded sort of progressive muscle relaxation, um, but actually teaching people really basic stuff to get themselves into a state. You can call it PMR. You could call it a, a pre-self-hypnosis. I know you're, you're, you're very big on, on self-hypnosis with your running. Um, to put them into that state so that they can just become aware, become more resourceful and, and help them find that state that's right for them. So for some personalities, before uh, a race, they like to keep very active, you know, so that mm. the crew will be shouting at them, come on, get your gloves on, get your helmet on, you're out and track in 30 seconds. And that's their best way of dealing with the mental noise and chatter. And we don't try to change that. Yeah. Because that's their way of, you know, keeping themselves busy. I don't have to, if they, if those people were to sit with the headphones on listening to music, they'd go mad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I, I absolutely understand that. So um, th th there's lots of different aspects to it, different strategies. Yeah. The different sports are fundamentally the same, whether it's two wheels or four wheels. Um, we do quite a lot of track visualization as well. Um, so when we're looking at track visualization, I'll have drivers or riders, you know, will anchor stuff to feeling, say, the seams of their gloves. So as soon as they put their gloves on and they can feel the seams inside their gloves, uh, we'll do verbal anchors or visual anchors as they leave pit lanes. Um, and then we'll do lots of dissociated above track work, uh, watching perfect laps, watching perfect lines. Um, and getting them used to even even things like smells and and using the the little used olfactory sense for anchoring for the because there's always a, a smell of heat and yeah. rubber and oil in a car that's that's yeah. particular so using those sorts of things yeah 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 you know when I, when I was preparing when I was preparing for this episode um, 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 well, you know I spent a bit of time on your website. And um, and one of the things that was uh, one of the things that was that was interesting, you know, um, you, you spoke about um, um, working with with drivers or riders um, that, that that had specific issues or had some challenges or mental blocks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm always interested, you know, um, you know, with, with the work that I do with with athletes and sports people. Um, there's a very similar conundrum sometimes, yeah. um, um, whereby you know. I'm working with people that are that are coming to see me because they're having problems or because they're struggling to, to reach their best at that particular time versus people that that, 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 that are preempting that, that are looking to, to advance what they do, looking to advance right. performance, yeah. even though yeah. they don't have any specific problem. Um, 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 d d does that exist? Do you have, you know, a... a, a, a uh, equal sections of both types of people coming to see you or is it is it split in a different direction um i different think degree. looking at you know the sort of generative change as opposed to um you know pro problem fixing you do get some things sometimes you'll get um where you have sort of mild fears or phobias that, that, that creep up uh, to do with braking zones, uh, touching other cars. Um, if it's riders, it might be, you know, personal injury uh, coming off a bike. So you've got those things to deal with. Um, 
you've got things like reaction time, uh, yeah. starts, overtaking. Um, so those things tend to be the more generative ones where you're looking at improving concentration, focus, um, helping them to visualize at what point they're going to do a certain thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most riders and drivers will also have tracks that are their bet noir, you know, the, the, the track that they hate going at usually because of past experience or they had a bad result there or somebody crashed into them or they just don't like it because the hotel that they stay in gave them food poisoning once or and and so yeah. you'll you'll actually have to focus on something that's track specific so you're not looking at something that's um going to affect the whole season you're just looking at something that's come up because of where they are yeah the, the amount of work that you have to do with somebody varies as well. I'll have people that I'll see once at the start of the season, once at the end of the season. Um, I'll see people that I'll see every two weeks in between every race. Um, there's other people that you only see literally when the wheels fall off and you yeah. know the, 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 the seasons aren't going as how they thought they should. Um, and are but, these people are, are the kind of people that you're working with? Are they are, are they are they people that that are kind of established within their field, or are these people you know? Are, because you know, the sports psychology, for example, is becoming yep. much more popular in, in a wide range of sports these days. Yep. I'm interested, you know, is 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 the, the the kind of new breed and people starting out in their motorsport careers looking to to get an edge. Um, um, early on, or are these people that are just looking to kind of get proactive, um, um, having already been established? I, it's it's a very good question, and it's an interesting question because when you look at, um, in particular, the sports that I have worked in, that are full of machismo, uh, rugby, darts, motorsport, yeah. there is a reluctance to admit to oneself that one could do with some assistance in some way. Never mind the generative stuff. Um, You get inquiries and and clients, they come from, you know, I've got guys that are basically club racing. You know, they're they're paying out their own pocket, which actually happens in a lot of motorsport. You'd be surprised at how few people make money in motorsport. But but, but Um, they have love for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, even in into the top echelons, the number of people that have to pay to, oh, really? to compete is, and the number of people that actually get money flowing in the opposite direction is actually quite small. Yeah. Um, but I'm, you know, I've, I've been speaking to is he 13, 14 years old today, uh, a rider, um, which interestingly was about uh, the C word. Um, which is confidence, which I don't believe is a thing. You know, yeah. to use an NLP thing, it's a nominalization because there is no, it's different for everybody. Yeah. Um, and essentially, it all boils back down to mental noise and beliefs. Beliefs. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, and and he's at fairly lower levels at the moment. Um, but you know, I've worked with people this year that have won the championships. So it's it's people from all over. The generative change versus the problems, if I was to be honest, I'd say most of the problems have got nothing to do with the racing. Yeah, yeah. Most of the problems have to do with, oh, you know, my partner is this, oh, the team boss is this, oh, financial this, which is, of course, a distraction 
which comes to the minds during the race weekend, which affects the performance because that spotlight of focus is is more diffuse. So there's more mental noise, there's more chatter going on, and and so the performance suffers for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the one of the reasons for, for my for my opening question as well. Um, one of the things I was really interested in when I was saying, you know, were, were you into motorsports already, mm. and 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 thus, you know, it was something because well, with the running, for example, I, I was you know I was a runner, and I was I was kind of indulging myself a little bit when when I started yeah. doing the whole hypnosis for running, um, and kind of indulging two things that I just loved and was really interested mm-hmm. in, and it certainly it it made things interesting and and. And, and and gave me gave me some some you know what, what I felt like a bit of a leg up if you excuse yep, the pun yep, on yep. on occasions because I had some kind of in field knowledge. Um, yep. um, was do you think that's necessary? Do you think you know when it comes to motorsports that that someone needs to know um, about motorsports per se in order to be able to help people you know drivers and riders um, and, and and crews and so on um, within motorsports. I, I really don't because it's the same principles that are right. that are abound. You know that yeah. that whole stress and anxiety, whether it's performance anxiety, whether it's you know anxiety, generalized anxiety, they're, they're, they're the same thing. Um, yeah. And if, if if you have the tools to help one, you can help the other. Um, with my only insight personally, I, I do. Um, I'm an observer for the Institute of Advanced Motorcyclists, so I help people go out. So I'm a pretty good rider, but that's my only insight into that. And it helps sometimes, but in motorsport, you have driver and rider coaches, and it's their job to focus and help the driver or rider develop their motor skills, their racing skills. Uh, And every driver or rider will have a driver or rider coach. And that's their area. Um, I don't. I, I will never tell a driver or rider how to drive a ride or how they could do this better or that better because right. I'm no. I'm not a racer. I, no. That's not my field. You speak to your driver or your rider coach about that. Um, it's it's not my area. My area is just to make sure that you are happy, calm, relaxed, and confident when you go out on track. Because if you're if you're all those things, you're going to perform well. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really the key. I, I do have a, a thing with team managers sometimes when I see them being critical of the drivers or riders because really you want to keep these people happy. These people are going out there. They've got all the pressure on them to perform because they are the, the, the sharp edge, sharp end of the wedge, you know, because everything that the team does, all the money that's spent, all comes down to what they do when they're out on track. Yeah. And the higher up the tree you go, the more pressure there is because there's more money being spent on you. Yeah. So it's you'd think you'd think really that it would just be that it would just be a given that people would go and get mind development and and performance, you know, mind coaching um, um, as 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 part and parcel of of your training. What heck, you know, I think that about all sports really. Maybe they do, but they just don't tell you because if they did, they'd be telling you that they have a weakness or that you're their secret weapon. So they don't advertise it. Yeah. 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 Um, um, Cause that's, I always get when people inquire, you know, they'll say, Oh, you know, you get somebody I can speak to that you've worked with. And my answer is always no. <laughs> yeah. they, they, they don't want me to tell you. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's insane. Um, come and see me and judge for yourself. 
yeah. Um, you know, it's um, it's, yeah, it's, it's but oh, with, with with the the it tends to be the other stuff that can affect it though uh, more so that the stuff in between that can affect the the concentration on the track. Given the basic skills, and most of them are, are pretty good, um, but there's not really any difference between drivers, riders, uh, the generative change versus anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I mean, I, I could, I, I could just just go on speaking to you about this subject and, <laughs> and, and, and about many of the other things that you're involved in and that you have and, and that you the areas that you work in um, um, that we've been discussing off air and so on. Um, um, what, 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 one quick thing I do have to ask. Sure. Um, um, with regards to to you know the the, the, the motorbikes stuff. Um, mm-hmm. um, 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 do you ever pull wheelies? No, I don't, because I'm far too sensible, and I know what it does to my forks. And I'm a Scotsman, so I don't like to spend money. Right? So, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wise, wise. I, I, I'm just interested that that you know, behind closed doors, all these are expert riders. Um, you know, I would find it difficult to resist. Uh, uh, you know, I, I kind of feel like just compelled to keep doing wheelies. Um, 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 so, so where can people go to learn more about um, about motorsport minds um, um, well, and, and so on? As you said, um, if you go on to Greg, Greg, uh, that's my email. If you go to gregmccall.com, yeah. um, there's there's quite a lot of information on there. But there's also motorsportmind.com, which is where um, most of my motorsport stuff comes through. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just details. But generally, I think if you have the skills that people in our industry have, um, it's the same skills you're going to use. Yeah. Um, if you if you're effective at doing it, yeah, you'll be successful. Yeah. Um, it's it's the same tools you're going to use. So that's uh, Greg McCall, um, um, dot co dot uk uh, and um, Motorsport Mind. Yeah. Um, uh, Motorsportmind.com. Go check it out. Go have a look. Um, I'm, I'm Greg. Thank you for coming no, and being my guest on on Hypnosis Weekly this time out. Thank you. Um, um, anybody that's interested, want to ask Greg some questions? Do get in touch with him. He'd be very accommodating. Greg McColl, thank you very much. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. Uh, it was lovely speaking to Greg. There are links to Greg's website over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website and in the episode notes over at iTunes. Um, um, so this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid. Uh, now, as we've not had one of these since issue uh, episode 98, I've got two for you this week. Um, and both are impressive meta-analysis studies that I'm referring to. So uh, the facts of the week are these. Um, Number one is that the efficacy of hypnosis in the treatment of depressive symptoms um, um, was subjected to a meta-analysis and studies identified suggested that hypnosis significantly improves symptoms of depression. So there's our our sort of factoid um, um, that hypnosis appears to be a viable non-pharmacological intervention for depression according to um, a meta-analysis by Shi, Yank and Ku uh, back in 2010. Um, and second of all, uh, a meta-analysis was conducted with randomised controlled clinical studies to evaluate efficacy of hypnosis in psychosomatic disorders. So that's things like dyspepsia, IBS, enuresis, asthma, stress, headaches, ulcers and so on. Um, and the differences in hypnotherapeutic approaches were cited 
but all studies compared patients exclusively treated with hypnotherapy to, to, to control groups. Um, and, and so the factoid is that uh, the meta-analysis clearly indicates hypnotherapy is highly effective in the treatment of psychosomatic disorders. That was a study by Flammer and Aladdin um, in 2007. Now, I know, I know many of you will be thinking, well, we already knew that, Adam. Now, of course, hypnotherapy and hypnosis can help in these areas, but a meta-analysis, you know, uh, gives us some credible support for those views. And it's nice to have our clinical experiences supported by such quality evidence. We need to support what we do over and beyond anecdote and experience if we're to step into the light, my friends. Um, links to both of these uh, research papers are included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, and if you follow me on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, you can find masses of memes relating to a variety of studies whereby hypnosis has been examined. Um, Okay, that's it for this week's 102nd edition. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I do have many more exciting guests that I'm going to be welcoming to Hypnosis Weekly in coming editions. Uh, we'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. Next time out, I'll be speaking to the very lovely Amy Charlot. Uh, we'll be discussing all things hypnosis and menopause. Uh, all the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode uh, page on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. And I welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. Do message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure that they get addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else and really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again go to Greg McColl. My thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Music